Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of what we just sang, a truth right from your word. God, that we're not forsaken, we're not forgotten, we're not abandoned, we're not orphans. But Lord Jesus, through your sacrifice that we have been made children of God. God, I pray that this morning as we open up your word, Lord, that, that you, would, you would speak to us in such a clear way that, that, that we'd understand your word today, not, not just intellectually, God, but that we'd be transformed by it. We'd be changed. That the truth of the gospel we just sang, the truth of your word that we're going to dig into this morning, God, that we'd be transformed tomorrow. We'd be changed in the office. We'd be changed at home. We'd be changed at school. God, that you would, you would transform us. Lord, I love when we read in your word that when people came to see you, Lord Jesus, they never left the same. God, may it be so this morning. God, change us by your word. Change us by your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that saves. Amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat? Well, it's exciting to be here as a... As Chris has said, my name is uh, Kai Ballantyne, and I, I pastor a church up in Muskoka. And um, listen, I, I just want to let you guys know that up in Muskoka, we are celebrating along here with you guys, just what the Lord's doing here, and, and we're excited to hear all the stuff that, that's happening. And, and here's the thing, it's, it's not so much, I just, this morning, it just hit me even more. It's not about buildings, but, but to sit here this morning and just have this worship come from behind me as you guys sang out to the Lord, and just, that's, that's the work of the Lord that he's doing here, and praise God. God for that, and we're excited to celebrate with you. Um, I'll say this as well, and this won't be a surprise to you guys, because um, you all, all will all agree with me probably on this. Man, I love your pastor. Uh, pastor Ted is such a, a blessing to me. Yeah, you can clap for your pastor. He's not here. It won't blow him up. That's good. No, um, he is here. Here's what I love about Ted. Pastor Ted is a guy who I love to listen to. He's one of my favorite preachers for sure. I just love to hear how he, how he brings the word. Um, but, but even more than that, more than how God's so gifted him as a communicator, gifted him as a pastor, gifted him as a leader, you see God's hand on Ted's life because of how much God has given him the gift of humility in, in the midst of all of that. Just a humble man. I love hanging out with him and his family. And not just because his kids are nut bar. I just, I, they are though. I love um, just to be around uh, Ted and the humility he shows. And listen, it's, it's obvious that it's here amongst, the, uh, amongst God's people too. Just a desperation for the Lord that without, if Jesus doesn't show up, we don't know what's going to happen, right? And, and that's such a good place to be. So I'm blessed to be here with you guys. Let, let's jump into the Word together. If you've got a Bible on you, turn to Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible on you, we've got people who are coming up the aisles right now who uh, would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, if you just didn't bring a Bible this morning, if you don't own a Bible, throw your hand up for sure. Grab one of these. Take it home as a copy of God's Word for you, as a gift from the church, all right? If you, it's a paper Bible. If you want a leather one, I'm sure they've got a lost and found here. Just go through there. you find a real nice leather one as well. Take that home, I guess. No, don't do that. Go to Romans chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, just a, a quick question. Do you, I don't know, down here in the big city, do you guys do like New Year's resolutions here? Anybody like do a New Year's resolutions this year? You're like, okay, here are the things I'm going to do. Nobody, show of hands, no. You guys are like, no, we got life figured out, man. We don't need to do that. We've, we, we nailed 2018, we're going to nail 2019. We don't need to do it, right? Or maybe you're like me and you're like, you know what, I try those and I fail them every year, so I'm just not going to do them this year. I'm just going to hit 2019 and see what God brings, right? Here's another question I have for you. It's, it's a more important question. i I wouldn't say raise your hand on this one because it's a serious question. How many here would say that you have something in your life, something you wish you didn't do? 
It's, it's not so much a habit. It's, it goes deeper than that. It's, it's deeper than just a, a habit. In fact, there are times that this, this thing that grabs a hold of you, it feels like it's a sin that's even controlling you at times. And, and you so wished you weren't trapped in it, wished you didn't do it, but you still do it. You have this struggle you, you continue to go back to and Maybe it's a temper that gets the best of you. Maybe, maybe it's pornography. Maybe, maybe it's fear and anxiety. Maybe it's, it's worry. Maybe it's, it's people-pleasing or lying or bitterness that you can't let go of. Maybe it's an addiction or an eating disorder, just, just something that, that has a hold of you and you wish you didn't do it. And you've told God, God, I, I don't want this a part of my life anymore. You've, you've asked God to help you to, to walk away from it. And, and you'll go for maybe a, a day or, or a week before you know what you're doing it again. And you say, I, I know I should not be, be pursuing this sin. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And, and you begin to actually think this. How can I call myself a Christian and still struggle like this? Like, man, I, I want that deep freedom that I, that I know, I, I see in Scripture that it's, it's supposed to be mine when I gave my life to Christ. And as we look to Romans chapter 7, Romans, a, a letter written by, by the Apostle Paul. Paul, who would be one of the godliest people who's ever lived in the history of the world. Like, like if you wanted to rank like Christ followers and have like your top 10 list, Paul would for sure be on the top 10 list, if not on your top 5. He had memorized the whole Old Testament. He's written most of the New Testament. He's, he's seen Jesus face to face. He's given his life for the gospel. And I mean, if, if there was anybody ever who would be a poster child for a Christ follower, Paul would be it. And yet, look how he describes his walk with Christ. Look, look at verse 15 of chapter 7. He says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I mean, can you relate to that verse? I mean, let, let's be honest in church. Haven't, haven't we all felt that at a time, right? right? And, and don't miss this. Who, who, who says this? Who's writing this? One of the godliest people who's ever lived. And he's like, hey, there's some stuff in my life that I do sometimes and I, and I, I, I don't want to do it. And I don't know why I'm doing it. And he goes on, look at verse 16. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I know that God has a holy and righteous law. And, and I'm, I'm glad that God's law is there because through God's law, I can see the reality of my heart. I can see God's standards. I can see the righteous, holy standard that I'm called to live. And, and he spent Romans 6 and, and the first part of Romans 7, though, saying, hey, 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 being a religious person, just following all the rules it can't save you. But look what he says in verse 7 of chapter 7. He says, what then shall we say? The law is sin by no means. Yet if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He's saying, listen, the, the law is not bad. The righteous, holy standard of God isn't wrong. It, it showed me, he says, it showed me my need of a Savior. 
So Paul's spending all this time in Romans 6 especially where he's, he's built up to what he's going to talk about in Romans 7 saying, hey, listen, the, the law of God, living a righteous life, you, you don't come to the law as a ladder to climb your way up to get to God. You come to the law not as a ladder but as a wall that you hit and in desperation you realize, I can't do this. I need somebody to rescue me. There, there was that moment for Paul. Paul knew the law. I mean, Paul went to the Harvard of schools for Pharisees. Like, he knew the law well, but, but, but God's word had never changed him. It wasn't until that moment where he was on that road where he saw his sin, not other people's sin. It was that moment where Paul said, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. It's my sin that put Christ on the cross. I was on my way to hell, in need of a Savior, in need of mercy, falling short of God's glory. And it's, it's God's holy and righteous law that shines that light on our condition, exposes our hearts for what they're really like. And so Paul says, hey, this is who I was. In fact, verses 7 to 12, if you, if you read through that, you see Paul talking. He, he uses a lot of past tense language. He says, that's who I was. I was this. I was dead. I was deceived. The sin was killing me. All past tense. And then he comes to verse 15 of chapter 7. And he starts using present tense language. He's saying, listen, as a new person, as someone transformed by Jesus, as someone brought to life, he's saying, I'm still in this battle. In fact, as we continue on, look at verse 17. He says, so now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. He said, I'm in this place, and, and it's, it's not even me doing it, it's what? It's, it's this, this sin in me. So here's, here's Paul, who was a, a Christ follower, and he had sin pressing in on his heart. He had sin drawing his heart. Sin bringing him to places where he shouldn't be. And you're thinking, wait a minute. If, if, if we're given to Christ, if we've been forgiven, if sin's been taken care of, why still this battle with sin? I was thinking about it this way. When I was in, in Bible school, one of the schools I went to, I was in a dorm. It was just a, one of the dorms. It was a small dorm, about eight of us in this dorm. It was on the shores of Lake Okanagan in Kelowna, B.C. And there was one weekend where everybody had gone away for the weekend. I was alone in the dorm by myself studying for an exam. And I'm, I'm sitting on the porch of this dorm. The lake's in front of me and there's these ducks on the shore. And I'm eating these cookies. And I thought, oh, I might feed the ducks. So I start throwing cookies to these ducks. And they, they start getting closer and really friendly, right? And they're now kind of up around me. And then I got this thought in my mind. And I thought, and this is kind of one of those thoughts that, that dumb young guys think. I'm like, it'd be cool to have a duck in the dorm. Right? Right? And all the dudes are going totally, and the ladies are going, what are you talking about? Right? And so I, I take some cookies, and I, and I throw a cookie behind me, and, and a duck crawls over my lap and heads into the dorm. I'm like, this is so cool. A duck going to college. Right? I just thought it was awesome. So I, I then stand up, and, and I learned a few things about ducks that day. One thing I learned is they have a very short memory, because I was the one bringing life, giving cookies. But as soon as I stood up, the duck forgot that, saw me as an enemy, and took off flying into the dorm into my room and, and I learned something else about ducks they're not very bright he was starting smashing into the window trying to get out and I'm thinking this duck's gonna die I gotta get him out of here so, so I run outside of the dorm 
And I smash on the window to scare him out, right? And he flies, sure enough, it works. He flies out of my room into the lounge and into my friend's room. Same thing, smashing into the window in there. And so I, I run into his room and I, I grab this duck, my one hand on top, one hand on the bottom, his wings out here, and I'm leading this duck. He's flying. I'm holding a flying duck. It was so cool. And I, I lead this duck out through the lounge, out to the porch, and I just release him into the wild. It was beautiful. Like I was one with nature. It was amazing. And I let him go. And there's something else I learned about ducks that day. Um, when ducks are scared, they lose all control of their bowels. Um, I looked down. I mean, I was covered. I looked behind me. The lounge was covered. My room was covered. My friend's room just filled. It was just duck filth everywhere, right? So, so here's the thing. I got the duck out of the dorm. But the effect of the ducks were still in the dorm. Listen, if you know Christ, if, if you've seen your sin, you've reached out in faith for forgiveness in Christ. Listen, as we sung, you are a child of God. You, you've been given the righteousness of Christ. You, you've been ransomed. You've been redeemed. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. You've been given the robes of Christ's righteousness. You've been given an inheritance. You, it says in Scripture that right now, it's like you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. But also right now, you live in a sinful world. And you still have this sinful flesh that was not just eradicated. The effect of sin is still in your heart. It, it's been disabled. Listen, it no longer rules over you, but it has not been completely eradicated. That, that time is coming, praise God. There'll be a day when you no longer have to fight sin and your flesh any longer. That's heaven. And praise God for that. But Paul wants us to understand, hey, hey, here's where we live right now. If you're taking notes, this is our first point. That was all introduction. This is the longest sermon ever. No, I'm kidding, it's not. Here's our first point, it's this. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. I mean, Paul wants to make sure, God's word here is, is making sure, listen, don't fool yourself that the fight is over. You will struggle with sin until heaven. Like I said, we're no longer ruled by sin. And again, Romans 6 just goes to so much detail saying you're not ruled by it. You're not a slave to sin any longer. You don't have to obey sin like you did before Christ gave you a new heart. But listen, we're not free from the presence of sin yet. And that has an impact on us. I, mean, I think about the Israelites who were set free by God and, and they, were, they were slaves in Egypt and then God, through just miraculous works, right, sets them free from Egypt. They're, they're crossing through the Red Sea, being set free. And what's going on? In that moment, Pharaoh is chasing them down and what's he saying? He's saying, no, 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 you guys are slaves. You're mine. I'm bringing you home. And how often does Satan press in on our hearts saying, I still own you. You're mine. I mean, think about it. The Israelites had lived in slavery for 400 years. It's what they knew. And then God steps in and he says something different about them. He says, hey, you see yourself as a slave. You see yourself as beaten, dirty, bruised, abused. You're stained by sin. But God said this. He says, but you are mine. I bought you. I ransomed you. I bought you with a price rescued, purchased by the blood of Christ. And God says this, you're my treasured possession. And so in this battle, who, whose voice are you listening to? Who do you believe? Who, who do you follow? 
I mean, our, our hearts are so easily drawn by sin. The, the sin that Jesus took care of, our hearts are drawn by it. The sin that no longer rules us, we're still drawn into it. We listen to that voice. Verse 18 goes on. It says this, For I, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the thing, the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I mean, thank you, Paul, for being real. Amen. I mean, haven't we all felt this? I mean, that, that I have the desire to do what's good, right? You, you, you hear a, a sermon, you, you, you listen to a podcast, you read a great book, and you're like, man, that is it. The Lord convicts, the Spirit's doing a work. You're like, man, I'm, it's changing now. Man, life is going to be different. I'm gonna be a better husband. I'm gonna be a better wife. I'm gonna uh, be a, a, a better kid, a better student, a better follower of Christ. Man, I'm in on this now. Right? And you go to bed and you're like, this is it, man. Tomorrow morning, everything changes. And you get up in the morning and then, I don't know, maybe you're, you're in a family and you get up in the morning and on your way to the breakfast table, that person who does that thing all the time, right? And all of a sudden, before you even get to the breakfast table, you've already fallen into sin. Listen, don't be lulled into thinking that it isn't a battle. The, the, the victory has been won by Christ, but we are still in enemy territory. We cannot not ever take off our armor. I mean, all through the New Testament, we read about this battle that we're in. I, I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be careful, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Here in Romans 7, we hear the same thing. The battle is raging. But here, here's what Paul says. The battle's not just out there. He's saying, the battle's right here. It's, it's, it's going on in my heart. My, my heart is being drawn. Sin's been eradicated, but the effect of that sin is still there in my heart. He says in verse 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See, I, I really want to do the right thing. I, I love the Lord with all my heart, and I, I want to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. Have you ever heard people say this? Man, man you, you can't call yourself a Christian if you still sin. And you can't be a Christian if you're still struggling with sin. And I completely disagree with that. Here's the thing. The fact is, if, if it's a struggle for you, if you're battling sin in your life right now, you're fighting that, you're battling that because of your love for Christ. If there was no struggle, listen, if, if you can just sin, if you can live a life that you know is not pleasing to God and you, you can just continue in unrepentant sin, never worrying about it, never being bothered by it, no conviction, no struggle. It means your heart isn't connected to Christ because if you're connected with Christ, you, you can't be comfortable living in a constant state of consistent sin. It's a battle. And as Christians, we battle. I'd say this, it's, it's a difference between being a sheep and being a pig. Pigs wallow in the mud, sheep stumble into the mud. 
right? A pig loves it. I mean, they, they, they jump into the mud. They, they just start getting their little hooves and rubbing the mud all over themselves. They're waiting. Come on in. The mud's good. Right? And they love it. <coughs> but a sheep, sheep fall into the mud and they think, man, I don't belong here. <coughs> now, now, there are times as sheep, we can sadly stay in the mud. Why? Because we're being lied to by the enemy. Often the lie goes like this. Look at you covered in sin. You're pathetic. You can't be a Christian covered in all that sin. Listen, if you're in the fight, if you're battling, that is such a good thing. It shouldn't feel okay to be in sin. We, we shouldn't make peace with our sin. We should be making war with our sin. It, it shouldn't be comfortable. We shouldn't be comfortable with, with any bit of sin in our life that's being revealed by the Lord. But listen, in those moments those times when you, when you fail to triumph over your sin, these verses here are the normal way that a Christian, a Christ follower, responds. I think one of the reasons why Romans 7 is so important to us is because it practically lays out for us this, this implication of, of what it is to rescue us, <coughs> to rescue us from the devastating hopelessness of falling off on either side of gospel hope. We can fall off on one side, which is embrace the sin and just keep pursuing that, and it's hopeless. Or, or we can fall off on the other side of just religiously pursuing perfection and faking it and hiding it, and that's hopeless. There's this hopelessness that comes from rejecting all of God's standards and just sinning all that we want. Listen, you will drown yourself in that sin, and you'll drown others around you. There's a hopelessness that can come from perfectionism too. Where you have these standards where, where, where you don't allow any place for failure in your life or lives of the saints around you. And listen, that, that will hurt you and hurt those around you as well. Paul here is teaching in this passage, he's saying, hey, hey, here's how you navigate that. Here's how you, here's how you walk between these two types of hopelessness, this hopelessness that, that you're lost as you pursue sin, hopelessness as you're lost, as you're just trying to fake it till you make it. It's a battle, but Paul's saying there is hope. Right, here's our second point this morning. It's this, don't lose hope. In the midst of this battle, as Christ followers, battling with sin, seeking this freedom, don't lose hope. He's saying you can be set free. There, there is freedom. There is transformation. Your heart can be free. And, and so, so how do we walk this path then? Here's the first thing we need to do. Look at verse 24. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, wretched man that I am. Here, here's the first thing we need to do. We need to call it sin. We need to call it sin. Paul's not hiding it. He's not faking it. He, he's, he's, he's just saying right out, this godly Christ follower, he's saying, I'm a wretched man. And then he says, who will what? Who will rescue me? He wasn't looking for a reason to stay in his sin. He wasn't trying to, trying to, to excuse it in any way. He wasn't saying, well, you know, everybody struggles. No, he's going, I don't want to be here. I want to be rescued. I'm not playing around. And I, I think so often we use this term battle or struggle. Man, I'm struggling with this sin when so often there's no struggle at all. We've surrendered to it. We've made peace with it. 
A struggle, a battle, it involves a fight. A battle involves radical measures. You say, man, this is not peacetime. This is wartime. And I'm going to battle against this in the spirit. And so in Jesus, when he says, hey, if, you're, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, obviously, he's using an illustration to make a point, but listen, what sin have you made peace with? What is there in your life? You say, man, I need to amputate that. I need to take that out of my life. And the text is clear. We're we're all going to wrestle with sin. Are you fighting? We say this all the time in our our church in Muskoka, that, that harvest is a place where it's okay to struggle. It's okay to be in the battle. It's okay to be messed up. In fact, I would say this right now. Just just look to your right and to your left. Look at the person sitting beside you on your right and the person sitting beside you on your left. Here's something I know about both of those people. They're totally messed up, all right? (laughs) Everyone's like, yeah, don't nod too. Like if you look, yeah, you're right. No, because they were looking at you too, all right? Listen, we all wrestle with sin. We, can, we, can we just admit that we, we don't have it all together? It's okay to struggle. But listen, listen, listen. We don't want to stay in the struggle. We don't want to stay that way. We, we're, like Paul, we should be going, Lord, I want the rescue. I, I want out of this. Look at verse 25. He says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew that the power of sin was broken by the person of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can bring this freedom. You can't change you. A counselor can't change you. A a, a sermon can't change you. A a good book or a great podcast can't change you. Listen, all those things can point you to the hope you have in Christ. They can point you to where you, you, you can be rescued, that Jesus can change you. Jesus can rescue. Jesus can set you free. He can bring that deep cleaning and freedom to a heart that's struggling. But it has to start with us saying, this is my sin. I think one of the problems is that we're not always willing to call things what they are. I mean, there'd be people here this morning, right here this morning, and, and, and you're legitimately wrestling with sin, but, but you won't call it sin. Right, what do we say? We say things like, well, I'm having some issues. I'm wrestling through some things. I'm, I've made some mistakes. We don't like calling it sin, do we? we? We hate calling it sin. Why? Because sin makes it sound so serious. But listen, it is serious. It's what put Christ on the cross. That's how bad our sin is that God had to send his son. That God the son died in our place because of our sin. Listen, until we see sin as serious as it is, we won't be serious about getting it out of our lives. And I say see your sin and call it sin. The Bible would say confess your sin, right? We we confess our sin to God. Now, here's the thing about that. I always thought that was kind of weird that I would confess something to a God who knows everything. Listen, when, when you confess your sin to God, you're not giving God information about your sin. He knows about your sin. Confession is not about information. It's about transformation, It's not not you telling God that that you've done something because he already knows that. The transformation of confession is when my, my mind and my heart begin to see my sin the way God sees my sin. 
And I'm saying, God, this isn't just a mistake. I'm not just having a struggle here. God, this is a sin. I'm calling it what you call it. God, that you'd see what's going on here, that my anger is sin, that my lust is sin, that my people-pleasing is sin, that my, my worry is sin, that my bitterness and unforgiveness is sin, that my pride is sin, that my greed, my dishonesty, my rebelliousness, my complacency, that we would see that it's sin and we need rescue. When we call it what it is, we start to see the destructive power of it. We stop dressing it up and making it cute. We stop treating our sin like it's this cute pet. Again, I love how Peter says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. This, this sin is not a pet. I remember it was, it was years ago, I remember reading this news story of this um, they were doing these prom pictures at a high school, and for their prom pictures, they were all getting pictures taken with this lion. You guys remember hearing about this? And they're, they're all standing up in their beautiful prom dresses and tuxedos, and let's get a picture with this lion. And then, then what happened was, well, with one of the couples who was staying there, the teenagers standing there, the lion reached out and grabbed the girl in her prom dress, and, and the reporter was saying this, was saying, man, I can't believe this happened. I'm thinking, What? Like, I watched Discovery Channel enough to know that's what happens. They got claws and teeth for a reason because they make you lunch. And, and here's the thing. You can dress up sin all we want. We can call it cute names. We, 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 can, we can pet it and like it, but there will come a time when sin will turn on you and kill you. We gotta be serious about our sin. It's not a pet but how often do we treat it that way, right? Oh, man, my bitterness feels so good. I just want to hold on to it a little longer. This anger, oh, but this lust, it just feels so good. And Sin left unchecked, listen, it, it'll always lead to destruction. It will lead to destruction in you and to those around you. In fact, I'd say this, there's no such thing as, as secret sin those sins that we hide, those sins that we hold on to. Listen, it's not just killing you, it's, it's hurting your family. That private secret sin isn't secret, it's, it's hurting those around you, it's hurting your small group, it's hurting your church. Listen, we need, to, we need to bring those sins into the light. In fact, I would say this, not only do we, do we just call it sin as we confess it to the Lord, here's the second thing we do, we confess it to others. We confess it to others. We take that sin that we've brought vertically before the Lord and we bring it horizontally. Why? Because we're bringing it to other brothers and sisters in Christ who can help point us to Christ. Now, now I get it. Our culture, man, our culture screams at us to stay private. Our culture will tell us, hey, hey, no, 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 no. It's nobody's business but your own. It's between you and God. Just keep it between. You don't need to share anything of what's going on in your life. It's, it's not affecting anybody. It's such a lie from the enemy. And we still try to hide, don't we? I mean, even in our confession, even in small group, hey, hey, let's get together, let, let's, let's share what's going on in each other's lives. We, we try to tone it down, don't we? We don't want to fully expose the sin. So we never really want to call it for what it is, and so what do we do? We, we hide. I'll just confess a lighter sin, and they'll think that's greater because I'm so transparent while we hide the deeper sin. 
You know, I was a kid in grade five. There was a group of us that would hang out together, and we used to play hide and seek, but we, we played hide and seek with a BB gun. So here's how we did it. I know, stupid, right? I was not a bright kid. The, the person who was it got the BB gun. Everybody else hid, right? And basically it was hunting. And you would go, and if you shot the guy, he was out. And you, you could go until everybody's been shot. Well, my, my, my friend Jamie, he, he was running and got shot. Now, BBs don't really hurt when you're wearing your jean jackets and your jeans and your hoodie up, right? But, but when you get hit, he got hit in the hand, the bare hand. And the, the BB just hit him just right that it busted his pinky open. Now, as grade five boys, what's the first thing you say? Don't tell your mom, right? Because you get in trouble. If she finds out what we're doing, we're done, right? So what did Jamie do? Jamie hid it. He was awesome at hiding. He was like a sweet magician. That did, I mean, he never showed his hand to his mom. And like for three days, she never saw his, his left hand. Until one day at the supper table, he, he's passing something to his, who, to his mom. And, and his mom sees this pinky finger that by now, days later, had gone swollen and pussy and discolored. It was awful. She's like, what is that? He'd been exposed. Now, what do we do as Christians, right? When, when God in his, in his severe grace and mercy exposes our sin, what do we do? We're like, hey, what's going on? What's with your finger? What's with, my, what's with your fingers? Like, your fingers are perfect, right? Or, well, it's, it's nothing. I'm, 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 I'm kind of struggling with my finger. I've, my finger's got issues. It's a journey. I'm on a journey with my finger. <laughs> Right? What do they do? They, they rushed him to the ER that night. They take him to the ER, and the doctor said, man, if you'd waited just days longer, you, the infection would have spread to the point where we would have had to amputate your pinky finger. All because he hid it. Listen, there are people here this morning, if, if you don't come clean, if you don't bring your sin into the light of God's grace, you're going to lose more than a pinky finger. There's a danger you might lose a marriage or relationships, for sure losing the abundant life offered you in Christ as your soul is weighed down by hidden sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. James 5, 16 says it this way, it says, confess your sin to each other that you would be healed. Just last night I was meeting with a couple a husband who had hidden sin for years from his wife. And, and just by God's grace, sin was revealed. And then, then he confessed more sin till finally all the sin was out in the light. And listen, it, it's going to be a long journey for this couple to, to, to come back to restoration with each other. But here's what he said. He said, all those years of hiding sin. He said, I, I knew the gospel here. But until God exposed me and my heart was crushed under the weight of my exposed sin, I didn't really know the gospel. He says, now I know Jesus. Now I know who he is. Listen, hiding our sin does nothing for us, but, but there's story after story. Even in this room, I know there will be. Story after story of people who found freedom as what? As they walk together saying, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's the sin I'm struggling with. And, and you struggle together, not, not perfect, but with honesty and confession still in the battle, pointing each other to the hope of the gospel. And I love how in this chapter, Paul does not pull any punches. He's saying, this is what it is, man. This sin is real. The battle is real. You need to call it what it is. You need to confess it to God and to others. But he, here's what Paul also says. He says, there's hope. There's hope. Look again at verse 25. 
He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the last point this morning. How do we, how do we find this hope? We embrace the gospel. We embrace the gospel. Notice what, what Paul says. He doesn't say that, that I will rescue me. He says, I, I need to turn away from those things that I was going to, those, those sins. And what do we do? We grab a hold of sin. When we go horizontal. We're looking for things to build our life on. We're saying, these things are going to give me hope. These things are going to rescue me. And Paul says, man, I need to turn away from those things. I need to stop trying to rescue myself. And he says, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, I'm rescued. It's only through Christ that we have rescue. Jesus, who, who lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live but couldn't live, who died a death in our place, taking on our sin, who, who then rose again from the grave to conquer sin and death so that his victory becomes our victory. His freedom becomes our freedom. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. That's the anchor of our soul. That's the hope we have in the gospel. But look at what Paul says. He doesn't just say that he, he, he knows that or he recognizes that or realizes the truth of the gospel. He doesn't say, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus will. No, 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 look what he says. Verse 25, what's it say? It says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, this is so crucial. As you, as you battle sin, it's, it's not try harder. It's, it's rejoice in, embrace, celebrate Live under the truth of the gospel in your life. Rejoicing in the truth that Jesus Christ has fully taken care of that need that right now you're grabbing a hold of sin to try to take care of. That all our sins, all the bitterness, all the lack of self-control, all the anger, lust, fear, lying, it's all us trying to rescue ourselves. But the true rescue happens when we move away from those things and we begin to what? We begin to, we begin to direct our hearts to something greater, something weightier, something so much more beautiful. So it's not just, hey, take away the sin out of your life. No, it's, it's turn your heart towards something that is greater. Put your hope in something that is greater, something more valuable, something more beautiful. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ we're rescued. You rehearse the gospel. You rejoice in the gospel daily. You, you allow the gospel to have more beauty and, and a greater weight in your life where your heart begins to rest in the truth of the gospel. And you can say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how we fight sin. Listen, this morning, you, you can find freedom Maybe you're thinking, I don't know, man. you don't know about me. You don't know the struggles I've been in. You don't know how long I've been battling this. Listen, there is hope. There is freedom. Romans 8, verse 1, he goes on. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on in, in verse 23 of chapter 8, who, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I love that. He said, he said who, who can bring charge against us? Only God can. God's the only righteous judge who can judge us for our sin. And here in Romans 8, God says, and I'm not doing that because of Christ. There is freedom. 
Now, here's the thing. There's no shortcuts to this freedom. There's no, there's no shortcuts to sanctification. It's this daily moving our lives, uh, allowing the, the law of God's word, the, the light of that, that, that word of God shine on our hearts as the spirit brings sin to the light. Those places where we're resting our heart in for our hope and, and daily we, we move our lives off of those things for hope and we place our life again on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think of it this way. Remember the story in the Gospels where, where Peter jumped out of the boat to walk on the water with Jesus? Remember that? Like there's a, a huge storm raging all around Peter and the other disciples in the boat. Jesus starts walking out on the water and, and they're, they're afraid at first. They don't know what it is. Is it a ghost? And then, and then someone says, no, I think it's Jesus. So, so Peter calls out, hey, Jesus, if that's you, call me out onto the water. What's he saying? He's saying, Jesus, if you're for real, if that's really you, I want to be where you are, and I want to be even out there in the storm with you. And so, so Jesus says, come on out, Peter. Like, can, can you imagine the faith it took for Peter to jump out of the boat into the storm? Right? This is not the same story where Jesus is at peace be still. Right? The storm is raging, and Peter leaps out in faith, leaps out of the boat. Why? Because he saw Jesus. He says, if you're real, I'm putting my whole life on you. You can bear the weight of my soul. And he jumps out of the boat onto the water to walk out to Jesus. Now what happens? In that moment, as he's standing out there on the water, he begins to look around, right? He begins to look around going, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a storm raging. He begins to look at himself. People don't walk on water. And he starts to sink. He takes his eyes off of Christ, looks at himself, begins to sink. And in that moment, he calls out, Lord, save me. What do the gospels say? What does Jesus do? Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, swim harder. Right? No, Jesus didn't do that. He, he, Jesus didn't say, Peter, what kind of lame prayer is save me? You, you, you need to quote scripture in your prayer, man. You need to speak in tongues or do something. No, what does it say? It says, it says in the gospel that when he called out, when he said, Lord, save me, it says immediately, Jesus reaches out, grabs Peter, pulls him back up out of the water. So what do we do? The same faith it took you to step out of the boat to say, I'm following Christ with my life, it's the same move in the battle with sin. It's taking your eyes off of yourself, taking your eyes off of what's going on around you horizontally and fixing your eyes again on Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And we move our whole life again to rest in God's grace, rest in his forgiveness that's made possible through Jesus Christ to wrestle our heart again, to embrace the gospel. Listen, Christians struggle with sin. Don't, don't believe the lie. Don't, don't leave here defeated with this, this lie that says that you shouldn't struggle. But also, listen, don't leave here without grabbing a hold of the hope that you have in Christ. Rejoicing again in the gospel. As the worship team comes up, we're going to, uh, we're going to do just that right now. We're going to end off this morning. We're going to sing the song we sang before I started to preach, a song that rejoices in the gospel. So the, I would say this, as you stand with me even now. As you sing this song, that it would be a song of worship for you where you rejoice in the gospel. It would be a song where you're singing, saying, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus that God calls me his own. 
If this is all new to you this morning, if you're like, you know, I, I just came here, man. I, I'm just kind of kicking the tires of this whole Jesus thing. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Listen, for you, the move is the same as those who are Christ followers struggling with sin. It's see your sin for what it is. It's confessing to the Lord, I can't rescue myself. I need you. You call out to God for forgiveness and new life that can be only found in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's our hope this morning, a hope of freedom. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that as we sing this morning, God, as our hearts are filled with worship, Lord, where there is sin, God, that even in this moment of worship, we would be bringing it to you and then celebrating the joy of the gospel rehearsing again the truth that says that we have been set free. That in faith again we would step out onto the water knowing that when Peter was out there he wasn't so much standing on the water as he was standing on your promises, on your character. And Lord, that we would do the same. Trusting in you again. Trusting in your gospel again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.